Hi, Dan Alexander here, and this episode is brought to you by Required, the all-in-one go-to platform for serious recruitment professionals, owners, and founders who are looking to grow their businesses. Now, we'll actually be launching the new online platform very soon, and if you'd like to be one of the first people to get access to our state-of-the-art learning platform and vault of online resources, then get in touch with us through the link in the description of this episode. So on today's required podcast, um, we've got Helen Phillips. Helen's the founder, owner, um, lead uh, solicitor of the Contract Doctor. She talks about um, terms and conditions, why you should have your own and why they should help you. Um, some of the, the fun things she's seen as companies internationalize and talks a bit more about sort of service and also as well what she's seeing in the recruitment industry uh, in terms of which sectors are growing and which are finding it a bit more difficult um, interesting chat all round. Also, her journey on uh, being a, uh, a new parent and being a business owner. So, I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. So, welcome back, Helen. Thank you very much. Um, an interesting year for you recently. Um, what have you been up to? Oh, you know, holidays, cat sitting, not an awful lot, just, you know, just chilling at home. Fair enough. Um, Alex is one now, is he? <laughs> yeah. So it has been a busy year, obviously, with the with the new arrival. Um, very different year to uh, anything that I've experienced before. But I can imagine. Does um does working with recruiters daily prepare you for um uh, a child or a, is a child <laughs> more, more mature? I feel like I've got about ten children at the moment. I don't know what it is about a lot of our recruiters, but they they live in Never Neverland. Some of them, <laughs> not all of them, but a lot of them. Some some of your customers, you mean? Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. So, um, I, I was going to ask. I mean, how is it running a business with a with a small child? Um, mine are a bit older, and I, I was employed when they were smaller, so it, it wasn't such a thing. But you know, being a business owner, you pretty much on it all the time so how did how did you sort of cope with those demands um I've been really lucky to be honest I've got a great team who supported me from the outset anything that I needed doing that I couldn't get done they would either do for me or they would liaise with the client so that the expectations were always met there were times when I would set my own deadline and then I couldn't meet it I would have to be very open and honest with our clients um and I think it's being honest with your clients. They really surprised me, to be honest. I have always lived in this world where a deadline is a deadline. You know, you have to hit it. And if you don't hit it, everyone complains and everyone whinges and you get all of these emails harassing you for things. But actually, when people know that you're juggling a baby with work, if you tell them, listen, I'm not going to get this to you until 11 p.m. after he's gone to bed, they've been great about it. Um, I don't want to say it's been easy because it hasn't. You do have to work around the clock, but it's been a lot easier than I thought it would be. I've been very honest with all of my clients and all of my suppliers about what my capacity is and where I can fit everyone in. And obviously everyone knows that my child has to come first. So you just make it work, don't you? And being the business owner, 
I have that flexibility to say, I'm not going to work today. I'm actually going to work at 8 p.m. once he goes to bed. I have that flexibility to be able to set my own time. I think one of the things I found, certainly having children um, and then managing people with children, was um, it, it made prioritization. A lot of the sort of fluff just went away. This, you know, it, it, you actually valued your time a lot, lot more. Yeah, absolutely. I think if there's something to get done, rather than being like, oh, you know what, I'll just go make a cup of coffee and I'll just go and do this and then I'll get to it. It's more, no, get that done because actually that child might wake up at any minute. <laughs> yeah, and you prioritise the things that really matter. And also as well, I think it, it, it actually changes you as a person, um, you know, because it's not just about you and, and, and your partner because you'll always be all right. You've got this little thing now that relies on you. Um, and that's quite scary. It is. And I also, I swear less now. So I am a completely different person. I swear less. I drink less. I'm like, you know, proper adulting, uh, which I think has really knocked into the business because before business was, let's go and have a drink with a client. Let's get to know them and then we'll do some work. Whereas now it's more no, I don't really have time to go for a drink. Let's get the business done. Let's get the work done. And when we both have time, then we will meet up and actually build the relationship properly. Fantastic. Um, so how is business at the moment? Um, what are you seeing in the market? I think the market in the last eight, nine months has been really difficult for more or less all of our clients. Um, we've had some sectors that we've seen grow, um, schools in particular, when I look at our education sector, they seem to be doing quite well. Everyone else seems to have taken a real nosedive. And obviously that does hit back on us. So it's been much harder to send people out a quote and expect it to be signed that day. We used to have people super keen, you know, we need to get these terms done. Yes, quote, yes, excellent, let's sign it. Now we're getting, okay, send me the quote. I really need to think about this. I need to think about finances. I need to think about budget. So everybody is tightening those purse strings. It's one of the things you see in recruitment that you, you see these sort of feast and famines. And, you know, like you were saying, nine months ago, it's like money's no object. It's quick. You know, we're growing, yeah. we hire people. And now it's like, okay, let's let's count. And, and actually, I think if if recruiters probably work somewhere in the middle, um, you know, across those waves and, you know, have the sort of diligence around, you know what are we going to do um um but but then obviously you just get a nice sort of steady growth i'm sure most recruitment founders would take that every day of the week that nice steady growth that predictable growth over yeah. boom and bust absolutely it's nice to be stable isn't it it's nice knowing you know we've got decent income coming in um but people are fighting a lot more now just to even stay stable uh, i think the market seems to be going on a slight uplift we tend to see it when we get our contract reviews in. The more contract reviews we get means that our clients are going out and getting more potential clients into them. So we get that knock on. Also with our back office service, if we're sending out more extensions, new contractors, we know the market's taken an uplift. We've had a little bit more throughout July, which maybe shows that there is a slight turn, but obviously now coming into August and august never a great month is it for recruitment so we don't know really know what to expect here no i think that's it as well i mean i think because it's been a tough year to date 
Um, everyone you know probably forgets that July and August are, are typically slower months. Just the seasonality and you know half of my network are away at the moment on school holes in the UK. Um, all of Europe is probably off on a on a nice yeah. holiday. So um, it, it is very seasonal. There's still business out there, still business being done. And you know I'd I'd urge anyone to be you know not taking their foot off the gas because they should be building their pipe for you know historically what is the best part of the year coming up yeah we do see that we tend to see that in august because it's quieter in the recruitment business people tend to get their back office in order you know they start going through their crn they start actually looking at the data protection they start looking at their terms and um, so august for us is very different in terms of the work that we receive it's less stressed um but we do still see that People do take their foot off the pedal quite a lot in August. You know, there's no ties. People don't wear a tie to work in August because it's hot. People wear shorts. And when you're wearing your shorts and you're not wearing your tie, you just want to go for a beer, don't you, at lunch? Yeah, do, do, do recruiters still wear ties? I mean, uh, we... we, we uh, uh, <laughs> I know a lot of recruiters who wear a tie. The first 10 years of my career, I had to wear a tie. And um, then it took a cohort going to Henley Business School um, for the S3 leadership to say maybe maybe should allow people to take ties off and and you know the, the result of that product was we didn't have to wear ties so yeah it's uh smart the dreaded smart casual though? or business casual see I see don't want to get into a debate about what people should wear to work but I know that when I was working in a law firm and I had to wear business attire I felt like I was going to work and then when I was in my casual gear I felt like I'm at home now so I had that differentiation of am I working my home from what I was wearing? I don't know if other people feel the same or if actually they like going to work and feeling more relaxed. I don't know what works. I think it's different people. Different people react differently. No, I think there's something to be said for that. You dress to you know sort of make an impact. And the thing actually I liked about dressing down is when you dressed up, it actually felt something different as opposed to just um, <laughs> being being in in every day. So. At the moment, the big thing is, and we see it in the groups all the time, um, document sharing. Um, this, you know, you, you're at your your advisor in the dinghy group, and it it must literally a small piece of you must die every time someone says, "Can someone share their terms with me?" Yes, it does, and there's a few reasons for it. It's not just because oh, you should be paying me to do this; I can do it. We've had someone who has asked for terms in the group, they've been sent terms in the group, they've come to us for one amendment, and I've been like, can you send me the terms? Those are the terms I've sent you. No, this this is a one-page document that says absolutely F all, like you've not sent me terms. And this is what people are sharing. And if you're gonna share documents with someone, at least make them good. You know, we can even do a review of them to show you if they're good or not. The amount of people who say, can you share a document and just get some absolute trash? I mean, nobody should be using trash documents. You can get better ones off Google. And I don't want to get into Google because their documents <laughs> aren't great. But you can get better documents than I've seen sent to me that people have gone, been using these for years, never had a problem. No, but it just takes one, doesn't it? Just takes you to get into issues once and you'll realize how crap your terms are. 
someone once explained to me that contracts are there for when it when it breaks down for when it goes wrong so it's protect yeah. both sides to to do that so you're absolutely right all the time it's going fine not a problem it's when it's when something out of the ordinary happens it, it's 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 go and check that what's the worst terms you've seen um I'm, I'm sure you see the odd shocker seen some really bad ones um i had a translated document come through and it was um a german document apparently had been checked by a german lawyer it was half in german it was half in english and i was reading it through and i was reading the english side and at one point as you're reading through it and you're saying like the contractor shall not do x y and z the contractor shall not do bumcock bumcock um i did screenshot it and i sent it to our client and said did anyone read this she laughed and then also said that she had sent this contract to several german clients now whether it was done as a joke or whether that is what Google Translate had translated it to, I don't know. Um, but that contract should not have been going out. So that was quite bad. We've had Bumcock. We've had another translation. Uh, it was something to do with monkeys. Uh, it wasn't a rude one, but it was something ridiculous, like a monkey finger in a contract. Um, translated documents just are not very good. We've also had ones where um the client is expecting money from the recruitment agency yeah so i remember i remember that. that one it was on one of our terms reviews and mm -hmm. and basically for every successful placement the recruiter had to pay 20 percent of the starting salary to the client yeah we've had that uh we've had contracts that are a paragraph long they say absolutely nothing but what they do say is onerous for the employment business like how can you get one paragraph in a contract wrong but people do it we just we just get absolute crap and these are intelligent people that are reading these contracts going yeah this is good i want to talk about bum cocks and monkey fingers in my contract that that's going to get me paid why do you think people do it is it just to cut corners to cut cost or they don't see the value and the importance all of the above really we've had people who've said to us well, I'm not going to pay that for a contract. And you think you're earning seven grand on your deal, but you won't spend less than a grand getting terms in place. No, they don't value it because they see it every day. They see these contracts all the time. So they think, well, they're easy. You know, I know what goes into it. I can do it myself. Or I've downloaded this document. I've read through it. It sounds fine. And I mean, it might sound fine, but you're not really looking for what's in it. You're looking for what's missing. And if you don't understand law, it's very difficult to say what is missing. And and clients use that, I guess. So that's obviously if you're using your own terms, you, you know, you've either built them yourself and you should be. But when you're getting clients send you terms, it's very much on their side, as you were saying. They're very much looking to catch you out or... Uh, 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 sort of worse to protect themselves yeah they are and one of the worst things that people don't tend to understand is that people don't understand recruitment so recruiters think oh it's easy what do you mean they don't understand it try and explain your job as a recruiter to somebody who has never heard of recruitment before and they don't get it 
what, why would I pay you to find me a person? My mum, for example. <laughs> yeah. People don't get recruitment. So when they're sending you a contract for you to find them a person, which they don't really see the value in, they're going to put clauses in there that are actually unfair to your business. Like, yeah, we can take this contract to direct after 12 months. Why? Why should you get to do that? Why should you get to take my contractor for free? Well, because we've been paying you for a year. Right. So why do you get to take him for free? And rebate periods, rebate periods going up to a year. Are you kidding me? Do people not understand what a rebate is for? It's not so that you get to keep someone forever. And if they leave, I have to pay you money back. It's to make sure they're suitable for this role up to a time that that's reasonable to expect. Not <laughs> if this person leaves ever, you have to pay me back money. And so these contracts that are coming through, they're just from people who don't understand the value in recruitment. Well, one of the interesting ones that I saw come through the other day, and I've seen it once before, I think, and I really hope it doesn't become prevalent, is that the um, as part of the employment contract now, um, I've seen a few offers that have gone out where the, um, the, the candidate being offered has to pay back their recruitment fee if they leave within a certain period of time. I mean, is that even legal? No, the candidate should never be paying anything for work finding services. And if it's going into an offer letter, then it's illegal. But the problem is people think they can write anything in a contract and it will stand up. You know, you've got unfair clauses going out to contractors who are in a weaker position anyway, which means the terms should be fairer. Penalty clauses, which are just absolutely extortionate penalty clauses generally aren't enforceable anyway and you've got penalty clauses going out for absolutely anything all of these things that people shove in a contract just thinking well i've written it in the contract so it's enforceable no it's actually not you know we do have to have fair contracts for them to be valid and it is a pain in the ass having to go and enforce it and show well you know you can't enforce this against me argument 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 back and forth back and forth time wasting and in the end it is going to be ruled in the other party's favor because your clause is unenforceable but why go through the hassle of all of that just have a decent contract in the first place one that's actually valid and i think i think the other thing in, in respect to penalty clauses is if you get those wrong and it can be deemed then your restrictions are worthless so it's it's how you draft that restriction introduction clauses because if it's seen as a penalty then unenforceable exactly there there was a case i think it was last year and it did set out the exceptions to penalty clauses but just because you think it's fair that i get this extra money that doesn't go by the exceptions therefore the reason for critics are using them it's not enforceable and I actually had someone say, well, I researched penalty clauses and they are enforceable. And I had to spend time then going through. This is why your penalty clause is not enforceable. And again, it wastes my time. It wastes your time. Just get a decent contract. I, I think you, you described it once to me as a big recruitment hug where you have to go through and explain explain <laughs> why, you know, just because it just doesn't seem fair, you know, but by the nature by the letter of the contract it's unenforceable okay that is basically my job i just give people a little nice hug and tell them why their contracts are crap so 
getting the right contract though it, it's about having that fairness of relationship between the recruiter and the client and, and in most cases it all goes well um when i did some research i've done some research both for previously when i was at s3 but for other customers backdoors probably happen in somewhere between one to two percent of uh, interviews and post um contractors returning so um I'm sure if you went, you know, to the degree of send outs is a lot, lot less as a percentage, but, um, but basically um, it happens and it happens for two reasons. It either happens because someone deliberately goes out their way to do it um, or it goes out the way or, or actually there's a, you know, there's a third way. So the second way is that, you know, people genuinely didn't realize or didn't know. And thirdly, if the recruiter leaves and it just never gets invoiced or it never gets chased, um, but having sound contracts just makes that difficult situation a lot easier to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. You can't really stop a backdoor, especially when someone's going out of their way to do it maliciously. You can't stop them doing that. But just being able to say, well, as per clause X, Y, and Z, we introduced this person to you under clause X, Y, and Z. You therefore owe us this amount of money. And it's just being able to clearly show this is the clause, this is the repercussion of it, this is what you owe us. And they should read like a story. If you're looking at contract terms, you want to see there's a beginning. It tells you exactly what the obligations are. It's got a middle. It tells you what happens during that relationship. And it's got an end, you know, how do we terminate? And backdoor hires, I think, fit that perfectly. You want to see what counts as an introduction in the beginning. What are, what are we doing? You want to see what's happening. Okay, well, you did this. You took our candidate. And you want to see how that ends. You pay us that fee. And when you see contracts where you're going up here and then to this one and then to here and, and then to there, and it's like one of those stories you used to read as a kid. Do you want this to happen? Go to page six. You know, it, it gets confusing and no one really knows where they stand. And you don't want to send a letter to someone saying, listen, you've taken my candidate. I can't really show you in the contract, but you did it. You just want it to be nice and clear. And the reason you want it clear is it's very emotional. Um, you know, people, you, you see it on the groups because people feel wronged. And yeah. it's, it, it's and, and for small businesses, you know, a 10K, you know, a 10K fee, a backdoor, it's very emotional. And, you know, people feel like, and, and that literally is someone's salary for a month. It is. And one of my jobs is actually to work as a therapist with people and to take out the emotion. Um, and I'm a qualified mediator as well. So I quite often will talk people through, OK, you're feeling this way. However, let's look at this on a, a more neutral level. All they have done is this and we can solve it. Um, I should get paid a therapist fee, to be honest. People don't argue about that, do they? I argue about legal fees, but not a therapy. This is a problem. We're not sitting on a couch. <laughs> need a comfier chair. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you need. So um, apart from terms that are uh, the constant, but um, see a lot around internationalization. So another big question that comes up is, can I use my UK terms in America? Can I use my, mm -hmm. you know, can I use my UK terms in Europe? What, what's your advice if someone's going to be trading in the US, someone's going to be trading in, in Europe? It's always a tough one for people because it might be that you've got one deal 
and I don't know, say you've got one deal that's in Germany. Fine. One deal, it's in Germany, you might not want to pay for a whole new set of terms, but you just have to weigh up what the risk is and can you uphold that contract. Now, if you're working in the US, I always strongly advise that you get a US agreement because the problem is even if you have a contract that's under English law, you go to the English court, the English court goes, yeah, you are owed money. Here you go, here's a judgment. You can't then enforce that in the US. And if there's no UK presence from that US entity, you have to then try and get it enforced in the US. So you want a contract which is actually going to go to a US court, they're going to read it, they're going to side with you. Okay. Absolutely fine. If you want to go to Germany, now Germany is quite good at upholding English terms, but some of them can easily be waived. So their labor leasing laws are much stricter than English labor leasing laws. So if you're presenting your English contract in a German court and saying, here, uphold my judgment, they're going to look at your contract and they might say, but this clause actually conflicts with our laws. So we're going to waive that clause. This clause conflicts with this. We're going to waive this. And it ends up that you've got a contract that is either not in your favor or worthless. So again, it's always worth getting either a German contract or at least discussing it with a German lawyer so that you can make your contract more accepted over there. You can get rid of any of the clauses which are going to conflict with German laws. And you it's don't just need, getting the right advice. You don't need an entity. You just need contracts that are governed by the laws and relevant laws. Relevant. They to- don't even need to be governed by that law. They just need to be complicit with the national law. Um, but also you need to make sure that you are complying with tax laws So if you're doing contract work, for example, how is your contract working? Because you are responsible for that. You are responsible for making sure that they're set up. And if you've got someone who says, hi, I've got a UK limited company. I want to go work in Germany because I've got this great fee. You can't just say, yeah, sure. Off you go. Because they're not paying taxes correctly over there. Now, people say, well, you know, 183 rule. So I'm allowed. That's not a thing. The 183 rule was abolished a very long time ago. From now, if you're going to work in Germany, you pay tax in Germany. They want that money from you. And the only way you do that, you have a German entity. Now, there are ways around it. You know, you can work remotely. There are other exceptions to it. But you need to speak to a compliance expert. You need to make sure that you are working compliantly. Um, And this will follow you around as well. If you've got 10 contractors all working in Germany, all working illegally, not paying taxes, you go to sell in a few years and an audit is going to be done on the risks and you're going to get a hell of a lot of money knocked off the sale of your company because you've got these risks. I think that was certainly a feature of the um, the due diligence processes I did when we were looking at acquiring businesses. Um, we didn't end up buying any businesses just because there was so much risk in the book, especially in the US, um, that by the time you'd sort of carved out the liability, the price obviously changed um, the cost of cleaning up and the deal just sort of fizzled out and and went away. So um, I think it was Sean Wadsworth who, who told me the guy, um, the, the founder and seller of Frank group that he basically started his data room day one and ran the business. Like anyone would come in and, you know, with a view of of buying it. And, you know, I'd I'd say to anyone, don't cut corners because as you say, we'll catch up with you. And it will cost you ultimately. If it doesn't cost you at that point, it will cost you in terms of the potential liability that you could have incurred. 
Absolutely. And people think that, oh, well, I'm a recruiter, so I don't need to know about the tax implications in Germany. Well, you do if you're working there because you've got a contractor who should be paying tax over there. So it does impact you. You need to have a compliance expert on hand who you can just send a quick email to and they can tell you exactly what you need. You know, it's straightforward and it's easy if you've got the right people. Fantastic. So in, in terms of what you do, Helen, you work on terms for people, you work on internationalization. Um, you do tell us about your contract back office. Um, so the contract back office is there for those companies who are not quite big enough to need someone in-house. Okay. Um, so I used to work for a couple of companies who had maybe 40 employees. Deals were coming in pretty regularly, but I would spend half of my day internet shopping. And I actually said that to my boss. I was very honest. I said to him, I spend half my day internet shopping. I don't think you need me full time. And he said, I've got enough money. If I want to pay you to internet shop, then I would. Um, and at but, that but point, that's, that's the point. If you if you if if you're not working, you're spending. <laughs> but it must have cost you a fortune. It was. <laughs> it cost me a fortune, but I had really good shoes. So. <laughs> and I just thought there's so many companies out there like this who think they need this permanent person sat there doing absolutely nothing. Something comes in every now and again, they do it, they internet shop for another while. Um, and so we help people who are in that stage where they don't need that person sat there, they don't need to be paying a salary, don't need to be paying holidays. All they need to do, send, we've got a contract review, or we've got a new contractor, or this contract is leaving, this contract is extending, all the things that that contract manager would do, we do. But you don't pay us a salary and you don't pay us holidays. Fantastic. So as business grows, service grows, as you know, and if you don't do any deals, the service shrinks. Absolutely. Uh, people don't pay us on a retainer basis. So it's just as and when you need us, you send it in, we start working, we finish, say it takes us seven minutes. That's seven minutes of your time gone from your credit allowance. You know, and that credit allowance could last you 12 months and you don't use it very often. Um, once it gets to the stage where you're using us for more than about 15 hours a month, then we've got a retainer for our larger clients, or we can help you find somebody who would suit your business on a more permanent level. But generally speaking, we've got people who buy 10 hours with us and it lasts them about three months. Okay. Because you're so efficient. We're efficient. You know, we work from home in our casual clothes. So yeah, get things done speedy. Fantastic. So for our members, um, you offer a free terms review service. So you'll, you'll look at their, um, their generally their broken, copied, stolen terms um, and, you know, or, you know, look to see whether they can be saved or help them write some new bespoke ones that will impress their customers. Um, and yeah, I think we'll put the link to that on the podcast. Um, if people don't know who you are where can they find you i'm not saying my address andy Do you want no, stalkers? No, no 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 i meant like you're supposed to say at this point <laughs> on linkedin I'm, I'm the one in the superhero outfit contract doctor i am on linkedin and um, i'm becoming more active again on linkedin now my child doesn't pull my phone out of my hand at every second and so i'm always on linkedin we've also got our sales director people can re reach out to um, and I just think everyone should get a free review because 
you don't know what you don't know. And if you think your terms are great and you're missing something vital, we'll just tell you and it will cost barely anything just to get that clause added in. Okay. So we'll put the email address or the web link um, on the on the podcast and uh, anyone you know who's in any doubt. And if terms are perfect, it will cost you nothing. Exactly. We have had a couple of people actually whose terms were really good. And we did say, I mean... I can change the formatting and make them look good. <laughs> <laughs> Their terms were good. So we we are good at saying you don't need us to do anything here. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on again. It's been really good to hear your insight um, as a supplier to the industry, but also someone who actually cares about the industry, which is always um, cares about recruiters. And um, so, um, yeah, um, all the very best. Make, congratulations on the first year. Now it's just now it all starts toddling and chasing after and, Oh, I know. Someone bought him a hammer toy for his birthday and he just keeps trying to hit the cat. (laughs) It's a new world now. It's a whole new world. Brilliant. Thanks for the catch up, Helen. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye.